So if my thought life is self-pity, I'm creating more self-pity. If my thought life is faith, I'm creating more faith. If my thought life is how can I be of service to other people? How can I love you and tolerate you in a loving, kind way? How can I be more kind to you? Then guess what happens in my brains? My thoughts have a life that are wondering, how can I be more loving and kind and tolerant to you? This 10 step is my daily act of living. This is the tool in my tool belt. When construction workers go out with their hammer, Billy Kay goes out with my thought life. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you're all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12-step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. From Studio A, deep in the heart of Texas, that was the voice of the one and only Miss Billy Kay that you heard at the beginning of this episode, and you are going to hear so much more from her in just a moment, but... First things first, this episode is being brought to you by Brad and Laura and Marcos and Tanya. What do you, what what say you, sorry, I kind of got a little thrown off there. What say you did Brad and Laura and Marcos and Tanya do? Well, they went to our website, www.soberspeak.com. They clicked on the little yellow donate tab and they made a, a contribution. So thank you so much, Brad and Laura and Marcos and Tanya. This episode is coming right out to Ewan's. So we are here, hopefully, to spread a little bit of uh, joy and encouragement and possibly provide hope where there is none. Um, We try to do that every week. I hope you are enjoying your summer. Well, okay, so uh, hey, wait a second there, John M. So that would be for the folks in the United De La States, but there are other countries, and I'm assuming like in uh, Australia and others, uh, you are experiencing... uh, what we would call winter right now. Um, I, I think I've got that right. I think it's opposite, right, for for you folks. Uh, anyway, I, I, I south of the equator, is that where that happens? But nonetheless, whatever season you are in of both your life and uh, that you're physically in within, you know, your country, wherever you are, uh, I hope that you are enjoying it. But nonetheless... 
I, John M., just another bozo on the bus, will indeed be the chairperson for this meeting between meetings, and I am truly honored and privileged to serve all of you listening in. So take a seat, if you will, around this virtual table, and let's get started. So... I have done my normal routine, and by the normal routine, I mean I uh, I got a little, uh, I, um, I'm holding it up to the mic here, like you can see it through the mic. What an idiotic move. But anyway, um, this, uh, this peppermint right here, I've got a little uh, essential oil. I've talked about this before, that uh, uh, this particular essential oil, uh, my uh, daughter got for me. I've gotten them. Uh, I've gotten the essential oil as presents before. Bought them myself. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, so I take this essential oil and I'm doing it right now. Just again, I, I put it on my hands and I mm, just breathe in a little bit of that. The peppermint actually serves as a a stimulant, and and you know I like stimulants, but I don't think I have to change my sobriety day for this particular stimulant. And so, and then. I put my arm, so so I'm standing, by the way. Um, I have a desk uh, that I'm uh, uh, can be raised, and I'm standing here, and I lift my arms up into the air, and I invite God in uh, to whatever the heck I'm about to say, and uh, just kind of let her rip. Oh, is it, and by the way, when it, when I'm when I have my arms up in the air, fully extended, it's kind of like a. Uh, uh, I, I don't know. I just feel like I'm, uh, I'm opening my chest. I'm opening uh, right now. I have my eyes closed and I'm doing that thing that I, I don't know. This is just what I do. And, and basically I'm just inviting God into my little introduction here and hoping that, um, uh, I guess I'm hoping that it'll help somebody somewhere along the line. And I know there's a, <laughs> I've gotten notes before, many notes before saying, just get on with the speaker. And I'm sorry, you know, I mean, if you've been listening a little while and you just don't want to hear my blabbering, I completely understand. Just hit the fast forward button. My my friend Casey always says that he fast forwards it 10 minutes so he doesn't have to hear all my shenanigans. But nonetheless... So what's going on this week? I've had a very busy week. I, I, everybody has a busy week, right? Uh, but I did want to tell you this, though. Uh, I, um, I, I, I think I mentioned this last week or the week before, but the, the lovely Mrs. M got into a, a major car accident. And uh, we're now about a week and a half into it. And we had to go back to the emergency room this week because this... It, her chest, we didn't realize this in the beginning, but it ended up uh, what they call buckling. Uh, like the, you know how the, the, uh, the, the seatbelt comes across your chest? Well, that thing just, it, it actually collapsed her sternum and it's causing all kinds of pain. And this is one of like many things. And for those of you who've been in automobile wrecks, I'm sure you know this. I've just not experienced this like, uh, uh, with somebody that's uh, this close to me firsthand before, and anyway, it's been it's it's been tough. And God bless her though; she's toughing it out. We're going to get through it, and I don't think there's going to be anything long term, any sort of uh, uh, challenges there. I think it'll all heal up over time. 
Um, but it's been kind of a scary time. But anyway, um, I, I just, I don't know why. I just wanted to share that. Um, and um, all right. So now on to uh, a little bit of uh, our, actually on to our featured speaker. Our featured speaker this week is Billy K. K of Al-Anon. And she is going to be talking about step 10 of Alcoholics Anonymous. Well, uh, Billy Kay gets me and herself all choked up in this one. Uh, she really has an incredible story. She has an incredible way of articulating herself. I know you're going to love it. Uh, Billy Kay's first episode that I ever recorded with her, by the way, was on episode number 88. Uh, and it's called Billy Kay, Al-Anon, and 12 Steps Served Up Big Book Style, if you want to go back and listen to episode number 88. By the way, you know, I just realized as I was saying this a moment ago, this is episode number 249. We almost have 250 in the books here. My goodness, where does time go? Uh, Time flies, I guess, as they say. But nonetheless, um, so we're going to talk with Billy Kay this time about Step 10, right out of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, Billy Kay talks about how a gentleman named Joe from Narcotics Anonymous, N.A., literally walked her into an Al-Anon meeting. Uh, She talks about or we talk about why some people in Al-Anon utilize the big book and others do not. Believe it or not, it's a little bit of a controversy. And uh, we talk about emotional sobriety. We talk about Billy Kay's service in the Army and being involved in combat when that was very unusual for a woman. Uh, one of my favorite lines is Billy Kay say when she were, she, she says when she returned home from the war, she felt like she was quote, missing a spiritual limb, unquote. And just as a side note, uh, okay. So what you don't know is that when I release episodes, if there is uh, a little too much, uh, 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 how do you, uh, what's the, oh, some, some AA meetings use the term street language, uh, you know, or you can call it cursing, you can call it whatever you want to call it. When there is uh, a little too much cursing in an episode, uh, the, the, the podcast gods uh, mandate that I mark the episode as, quote, explicit. Uh, and, and, you know, it's, so, so here's what it comes down to. Billy Kay drops a few F-bombs in here. And if you, by the way, if you are sensitive to that thing, please go on and listen to another episode. Uh, but, uh, so she drops a few F-bombs in here. So I, I have to actually go back and mark it explicit. And the only reason I say that is because for whatever reason, I get some sort of joy out of having an Al-Anon person on Sober Speak. <laughs> And I have to go back and mark this thing explicit because there's too many (laughs) F-bombs. I absolutely love that. So, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, I present to you Miss Billy Kay. And we will have plenty. Oh, listener feedback at the end of this episode. Enjoy. Okay, everybody. So today we are sitting here with a return 
guest. The return guest is Billy Kay from the wonderful program of Al-Anon. So Billy Kay, I'm going to let you, first of all, go ahead, introduce yourself. Uh, usually what I do with the alcoholics is I have them give their sobriety today, but in this particular case, why don't you just tell people how long you've been in Al-Anon and uh, where you live in the country also? Hey, everybody. I'm Billy Kay. That's my first name. I know in program, people think the K is my last initial. Uh, I am in San Diego, California, and I've been in Al-Anon for 29 years. So, so let's go ahead. Yeah, talk, you actually Billy KB. So I'm just going to go ahead and spell your name so everybody knows it because it's a it's a it's a little bit of an unusual usual name. It's B I L. Yeah, <laughs> B I L L. Uh, I-E-K-A-I. That's great. Uh, well, uh, by the way, I've hardly met any other Johns. Uh, have you met any other <laughs> Billy Kays? That has never happened to me. Uh, I've, nobody's ever walked into church and yelled, hey, Billy Kay, and five people turned around. <laughs> but have you ever met any others? No, I have not. And wow, there is, a, there is an, a, a wrestler. I think she's Australian. Her name is Billy Kay. You know, like mm. a Billy Jean or a Mary Pat, like there are Billy K's, but yeah. there isn't one big combo like the yin yang. And well, what's the history of that name? Is do, do, given a birth, any particular reason? <laughs> you know, um, I like to tell people that I'm named after Billy Jean King. Uh, and the reason I like to tell people that is because I think she's a phenomenal woman and it makes millennials look her up because they have no idea who she is. <laughs> 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 and, and so I use the opportunity to get a little edification and equality rights in there. Um. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> okay. So we have had, oh gosh, it's been a couple of years or so now since I had you on last. I, it was yeah. pre-pandemic. I know that. It was, I think we were either right at the start of pan pandemic or... or or just before. Yeah. You know what? That's interesting. I was traveling on business in uh, San Diego. I remember this uh, and I was there and it was before the country started to lock down and I had reached out to you trying to find some meetings, but my work schedule didn't allow you. You're telling me about your people. I think they're a big book awakening. Is that what it's oh, called? Right? Yes. The, at the time it was on Wednesday nights, but now it's on Tuesday nights and uh, yeah, huh. it's the big book awakening meeting. Um, currently at the, Methodist Church in downtown, right off of the eight freeway. And for and, those of you who are in town, you can go to bbaworks dot or is it net bbaworks dot net and see the schedule. Do you have Zoom meetings for that as well? There are chance? Zoom meetings. There's also an emotional sobriety meeting um, uh, on Thursday nights, and that's okay. available to anybody. Um, they're still phoning it in, so in a good way. <laughs> and so anybody can join that. And so that's bbaworks.net, net. right? You're looking at it I think up, right? if you don't trust me on the net, uh, it's then, either dot net um, or dot com, right? Yeah. <laughs> One of those two. All right. Well, I tell you what, get you there if you Google it. How about we do this? Uh, when we're done here, I'll just make a note here. You can send me the link and I'll put it in what we call the show notes here and people can go. go and uh, click on it. All right. So, I, so like I said, it's been a couple of years. And I have had so many people uh, that write in to me 
And they say, number one, we want to hear more of Billy Kay. And then there's a lot of people, as you know, a lot of women uh, who have written me and say, can you please get me in touch with Billy Kay? Now, keep in mind, this is a, you know, I, it's mainly an Alcoholics Anonymous uh uh, podcast. Uh, however, you know, it, it's 12 step oriented, right? And, uh, and, and I love the al and I love the al story. I've just been too lazy about getting people back on, but we're able to finally hook up. And uh, I, I, I could tell that you resonate with the list- listeners big time. So why don't you go ahead for those who didn't hear your story or don't remember it from a uh, little over two years ago, kind of give them a thumbnail sketch uh, of how you ended up in Al-Anon, you know, I, I, I'll let you tell what you think of the major milestones. Sure. And I'm thinking about what you said about the Al-Anon and the AA. And, you know, one of the things I always tell my friends that are alcoholics is who do you think all your friends are? Uh, you know, if you, if you spend all your time in AA, then all of your friends are alcoholics, right? Which means you are an Al-Anon. You are affected by other people's disease. Right. <laughs> Right. You are literally the friends in the family. (laughs) So I I like to remind people, I'm like, you you know, you are who you surround yourself with. Uh, And um, this disease is is contagious in many ways. Mm. So that's that's my two cents. That's a very good point. No, I I, I love that. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. So I um, grew up in an alcoholic home. Uh, meaning like everybody was affected by this disease. My siblings, my, my parents, my parent, like figures all were suffering from um, spiritual malady and using things alcoholically. Uh, My mother was um, an actively drinking alcoholic and um, was violent and abusive on many occasions. And being the youngest of the five, I wound up being with her at the latest progression of her disease um, by myself. Um, and eventually that led to her abandoning me. Actually, she abandoned me twice. The first time she took me to my sister's. The second time she said, I'm leaving. I don't know where you're going. Um, and so I wound up calling the lady I babysat for and asking her if I could come and stay with her. And, um, cause I had no place to go. I was 15. I wanted to finish high school. I was smart enough to know that I couldn't support myself at that age. And I, you know, I needed uh, you know, I needed an adult to help me through this. And that turned out to be a very untenable situation. Um, her idea of having a teenage girl in her house meant indentured servant. And um, that was not working. I was basically locked in the house. It was never allowed to go anywhere. I spent all my time cleaning and watching her son. So I called some friends I used to have across the street from the last place I lived with my mom. And I told them the situation in detail. And they said, well, um, you can come stay with us, but we have to legally go through the process of becoming your foster parents. You can't, you know, the, the man of the house was working for one of the um, many police type departments. And uh, he said, you, you know, you can't live here without like legal permission. And so they went through the process of becoming my formal foster parents. And I became a ward of the court at that point. And when I moved in with them, and somewhere along the line, that didn't work out for them. You know, I don't really know what happened. I just know that everything was okay. And then one day I was walking home from school and this woman stuck her face out of the window of her car and said, are, are you Billy Kay? And I said, yes. And she said her name. And then she said, I'm your social worker. Get in the car. And I was like, I, 
I don't know you. I've never met you. I don't what social worker. And so I asked them questions and then she was like, we've packed all of your things. It's all in the trunk of the car. You need to get in and come with me. So, you know, I pretty much felt like I was being kidnapped. And then she took me to a backup shelter care, um, which is a, an emergency foster facility. And so I got taken to a home where that family specialized in bringing in teenage girls with children. Um, I didn't have children, but I was a teenage girl and there was no other room for me. So I went there. Um, and uh, that was one of the more, I want to say tragic, but like, I, it's more like soul crushing, like moments of my life, because I thought those people I was living with were my friends. I thought I could trust them. I, I thought I could rely on them. I went, they went through all this legal process to, you know, formally be foster parents. And I felt very, very betrayed. Uh, so I went to this new foster home and um, that turned out to be the biggest blessing in my life at the time, like for many, many years that, that home became my home. And that woman that took me in became my mom and uh, I just love her so, so deeply. And I'm so grateful to her to this day for the love and compassion that she showed me um, that I just, you know, didn't feel like I deserved. So the other thing that was happening in that household is their father was dying. So Ruby and Chuck had been married for over 20 years, almost 30. I think it was like they were like on their 27 or 28th year of marriage and Chuck had cancer and he was well into his cancer prognosis about a year in. So he was very, very thin. His eyes were, you know, bulging out. His hair was falling out. He was sleeping on the couch. He was really not mobile. And, and he was kind of skeletal. Um, and all of their children, all of their biological children were either living there or coming every day. So the household had about 13 people living in it. So imagine I went from living from this household with two adults and two little boys to this chaotic, frenetic house of people I didn't know. Um, and, and a culture I didn't know right? Families have cultures. Like, do they make their bed in the morning? Do they wash their dishes right away? How do they eat their dinners? Is it in the living room? Is it at the table? Do they pray? Like the culture was significantly different. And this was hard to adapt to mostly because when you're a fish in the water, you don't know you're swimming, right? So they don't know their rules. They don't know how to verbalize their rules. They just know when you don't do it right, everything is wrong. Um, and so I didn't fit into this family, like, because I was a family that came from a love language of quality time and they were a family that came from a love language of service acts of service, which was work. And, and, you know, that vocabulary didn't exist for me then and it didn't exist for them either. And so this was a crisis, right? Um, I was constantly in conflict with someone or something without even knowing why. Um, but eventually um, my foster father, Chuck passed and the kids began to move away after they mourned their father. And I was gifted the blessing of having a lot of time with my foster mother, Ruby. And I was on my way to the biggest miracle with her. And I had so much one-on-one -on -one time with her. And she was a woman who really had a strong faith. Um, and she had raised all these babies and she'd been married all this time. She was just a strong, strong pillar of a woman. And she taught me so much about being present and about having faith and about learning to lean on things in a time when I was terrified and scared 
coming out of abusive places, coming out of a ne neglectful places. And, um, you know, it was just a really hard time for me. And she was there. She offered comfort. She offered nurturance. She offered faith. She offered direction. She, she offered me love where I had none. And um, I remember the day that Chuck died. The whole family was there. You know, he passed away in the hospital. And after he passed, the family decided that the best thing to do was to go to church that day. Because that's what he would have done and that's what he would have wanted. And so everybody gathers up and they all get in these cars and they all caravan to this church, which my mom still goes to, by the way. She still goes to the same church. Um, and <laughs> so we all get in the car. And so we get in the car and, and, and my foster mom is driving and her, her oldest grandchild is in the front seat next to her and I'm in the back seat and then her youngest biological daughter is next to me on my right so I'm sitting right behind her and this isn't this is important because I can't see her face right and so I'm sitting in the back seat and I'm like what in the fuck just happened <laughs> you know like this is whew. like the whole world just shifted everything just changed it was really dramatic and everybody's in the car and everybody's quiet and we're going to church like I could not wrap my head around it. And um, so I'm sitting there and uh, she says to me, she says, Billy, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, what? what? And I said, for what? And she said, you've already been uh, through so much in your damn life. I'm sorry you have to go through this too. And I have never felt so loved. I've never felt so seen in a moment of grief, in a moment of world-changing news and, and shift. She took time to love me. And I can't imagine paying forward more than what she gave me, right? Like, she gave me something so precious. So when I think about my my deep nature of service, my deep heart of I want to help people, I want to reach out, I want to guide, I want to shepherd, it's always her. It's always her in this moment that saved me, that rescued me, that loved me. Ooh, that's a lot of tears. That's okay, and I've got them too. <laughs> No, no problem. I'm glad. The 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 oh, happy man. ending to this story is yeah. that woman is still my mom. Like I still call her mom, and I I send her birthday gifts and Mother's Day gifts, and I go visit, and I sit in that house where she raised me, and and when I say raised, I mean built. You know, like planted the the seed of the tree that I became, and I just love her, and I respect her, and I admire her, and um, she people say you're the strongest person I've ever met. I've been in the army. I've met a lot of strong people. I've been in program for many, many years. I've met a lot of strong people. I have never met a woman that I truly believe is going to come up out her grave and say, you did not dig this right. You need to get back to it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> this woman, I honestly, like, like, I honestly believe she is the strongest person I have ever seen or ever met. And, um, and I joke about, you know, her, 
you know, digging her own grave or telling you he didn't do it right. But at 71, she removed her house. Like, <laughs> I'm not playing, you know? So I, <laughs> I admire her so deeply. And, and, and the lesson I carried from that is that I'm always on a way to a miracle. And in this case, Ruby was my miracle. And Ruby continues to be a miracle to me. You know, when I get in a tough spot, I call her mom. I, mom, I'm struggling. Um, and, and I get to talk to her and I get to be loved by her. And I think that's an honor. So um, one of the things that happened for me is being a foster kid. Uh, when you turn 18, back when I was that young, you know, uh, they you basically just kicked out onto the street. There was no transition program. There was no help. It was like one day you're in foster care, you turn 18, and now you're not. There's no more financial support for that family. There's no more room for you. And uh, so m- my mom blessed me, and she was like, so what are you going to do? And I was like, well, you know, I want to go to college, you know, I'll get a job. And she was like, so let's talk about how much flipping Burgers pays and how much it costs to live. And she was this deeply practical woman that was like, well, even so I said, I'll get two jobs. She said, okay, so you get two jobs that adds up to this much money. College costs this much money. Plus you have rent and and you need to pay for transportation where there's a bus or a car and you have to have food. So the numbers don't add up. So what are you going to do? And she never answered that question for me. She just perpetually questioned me until I was like pestered to death, you know, like I was like, what? and she was, she was right to teach me that way. She was right to get me to think about it that way. And um, what I realized is um, I was not going to be able to support myself. And um, so one of the options that was presented to me was the army. Um, you know, the, the military does poverty draft and, um, and I was certainly in that category, you know? So I, I got romanced by the r- recruiter, um, <laughs> you know, but really what I heard was, I'm going to feed you. I'm going to clothe you. I'm going to shelter you and I'm going to let you travel and I'm going to pay you. Um, and also I'm going to offer you this college fund so you can go to college when you're done. So what I heard was, this is your new support system. This is going to financially make you capable of supporting yourself into the future and getting what you want in the long run. Um, What I did not know was we were heading into a war. And um, so I accepted that and I went into the army in 1989 um, and I served in Desert Shield, Desert Storm in 90 and 91. And then I got out of the army in 92. Uh, And it is a miracle to me that I survived that. There were not a lot of women that were in combat yet. In fact, it wasn't even legal yet for women to be in combat yet. There we were. Uh, And I remember being home, sitting on my sister's couch, watching Congress pass the law that women could now serve in combat, laughing, right? Laughing. I was like, well, where the (laughs) fuck have I been? (laughs) What what was I doing exactly? Um, (laughs) So we, we laughed, but you know, it was laugh or cry kind of thing. Uh, you know, so I served in, I served in the army, served in war. I came home, um, and went through a very tumultuous transition. Uh, but while I was in the army, we were in Saudi Arabia at the time. It was kind of post-war. It was like, you know, cl- kind of clean up and support operations. And, and we were in Saudi Arabia, a set of vehicles home and that kind of thing. And I met a guy named Joe who was in NA and um, I met him through a, a boy, of course, that I was dating. And and he was like, hey, I'm sharing at my meeting tonight. Will you guys come and support me? I 
fuck didn't know what the hell that meant. I was like, sure, Joe, <laughs> uh, you know, me and Bob will come. And uh, so Bob and I go to a fucking NA meeting in Saudi Arabia, right? Praise, talk about a miracle, right? Like all over the world is this 12 step program. And I am so, so deeply moved that I experienced it. So we go and we sit in this meeting and Joe shares and, and Bob and I are like, Hey Joe, you know, thumbs up. And of course, after the meeting, this guy walks up and he's, he introduced himself and he asked me a couple questions. He goes, you know, you belong in the meeting across the hall. There's an Al-Anon meeting. And I was like, what's, I was like, why would you say, you don't know me. Like, why would you say that to me? He's like, well, you should go check it out. He literally walked me across the hall and introduced Mm. me to a woman there. And she was so sweet and she was so nice. I liked her so much. I was like, oh, I'm going to come back and see this lady. And um, so I went back and I went to that Al-Anon meeting a couple of times. And that very sweet, kind lady continued to write me letters for the next, I think, five or six years. Um, So when I got home from the war, I had Al-Anon in my mind. And, you know, when I was a kid, I had been introduced to Alateen um, during all that stuff. Um, So it wasn't an unfamiliar concept. And and so I came home and I was in this transition and um, I'm really struggling. You know, I I just spent the last three years sleeping, eating, showering, playing, dancing with people. Like I was, you're never alone in the military, at least not in the army. You're never, never alone. You literally do every single human thing with other humans. And all of a sudden I I was in a room by myself and I was in a house that was quiet and empty and I didn't have a job and I wasn't you know, I, I was just out, it, you know, it was too soon to do things like enroll in school or find work or whatever. And I found myself feeling really like missing a spiritual limb. And I was not okay. Um, and so I went back to Al-Anon. And I went to because what, what what I was acutely aware of was my mom like, you know, I was an adult, like I couldn't blame my mother for my problems. Right. Like, you know, I'm, I'm 20, 21 years old. I've fought in a war. Like, you know, I'm grown and I know what's right from wrong, or at least I should in the world. And what's clear to me is I'm not right. I'm not okay. Um, and, um, I got into this relationship with a young man who was a good young man. He was, he was smart. He was funny. He was cute. Um, and I'm in this relationship and theoretically everything should have been fine, but I was not fine. And, you know, I'm picking fights with him. I'm poking at him. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to argue with him. I'm trying to start something, you know? And one day, you know, we're driving in the car and we're screaming at screaming at each other. And he goes, you know, I'm 26 years old and I've never in my life raised my voice to anybody but you. Well, fuck. It means it's me. I'm the common denominator. I can't keep a relationship with a decent human being. Clearly, I am the problem. So I went to this Al-Anon meeting, which was a um, a women. I didn't know this. I just went to whatever was available that night when I was in crisis, right? And it turned out to be a closed women's meeting um, <laughs> that I just went to forever after that. I just was like, I need this. I'm coming here. This is what I'm going to do. Right. And then about six months into it, this man like somebody's husband walked in to give his wife something that she had forgotten. And there was this <gasps> noise, like the air got sucked out of the room and around. Like what's the fucking problem <laughs> Like, what's happening? Like what's, what's the issue? 
And you know, he greets his wife. They talk, chat, chat, chat. He gives her the thing and he leaves. And I still cannot figure out what the fucking problem is. You know? Because <laughs> I was so in my own head. I was so deep in my own disease that I, I didn't know that I was in a women's only meeting. Um, and uh, so that was uh, like an awakening, like an aha moment for me where I was like, oh, maybe uh-huh. you should like know some stuff. And I was like, there's, you know, there's more meetings than this. And people were like, you need to start going to more meetings. And so I started going to more meetings. And I remember walking in and sitting down the first meeting that had men in it. And I was like, huh, this is weird. <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, it never occurred to me before and it was never a problem or an issue, but it was like, I just was, like I said, I was so in my own bubble. I was so deeply, deeply embedded in my own disease that I, I couldn't even see the world. Um, mm-hmm. And so I started going to more meetings and I started listening to more people and I started um, hearing what programs starts to teach you early on, which is there's a solution, there's hope. And people who share really well in a meeting share their experience, their strength, and their hope. And the really good ones talk about the solution being God. And the really, really healthy ones talk about their steps and where they are in their steps and how they work their steps and what their amends were like and what their sponsor is like. And like the really, really, the ones that really get it don't just say, keep coming back. They say, Billy Kay, get a job, get a sponsor, work the steps and shut the fuck up. Right. (laughs) That's true advice that came from George. He saved my life. George was an AA. And so I started going to AA meetings. People were like, well, you want to learn facts about AA and then you need to go to AA meetings. And I was going and sitting in these AA meetings in the back, terrified, terrified, because in my mind, I'm a victim and the alcoholics and drug addicts are the ones at fault. It's their fault. It's my mom's fault, right? Um, That I am the way I am. And so I would sit in the back, scared and shaking, but then this thing would happen where the alcoholic would share and I go, God, that's me. God, I do that. I'm not drunk, but I'm doing that. Why? Like what? And I found myself frequently relating more to an AA speaker than to an Al-Anon speaker. Hmm. And a part of that is because Al-Anon speakers talked about them a lot, meaning who they called their qualifier. And something I knew is that I was my own qualifier. Then I am my own problem because that boyfriend made it very clear to me that I was the problem in that relationship, right? With that one statement. And it really what it was is when you know, you know, truth, when you hear it, right? I knew he was right. I had been in a war. I had been in an alcoholic home. Like all my siblings were showing signs and symptoms. Like uh, it was a no brainer. I was the common denominator. So when I sat in these rooms with alcoholics where they owned it, where they were like, Hey, listen, this is what I did. I was I was in the mental obsession. I was in the physical allergy. This is my spiritual malady. When they were talking it, I was getting it. I was picking up what they were laying down. But Alanons don't talk about their disease that way. They talk about their qualifier. And that shit makes me crazy. Shut up. I don't want to hear about how your drunk didn't fill up the tire air pressure thing. Like I don't, I don't care. <laughs> I don't want, I don't care. I don't. I don't want to hear about them. I want to hear about you. I want to know what you learned. I want to know what you grew. I want to know how you grew. And I want to know what I can do to mimic that. Give me a solution or get out. Like, <laughs> And so I found a sponsor that was as, was as hard about it as I was, right? Like 
I'm kind of hard-headed, so I needed a hard-headed sponsor. I needed somebody who was not going to take any bullshit from me. And, you know, I that's that's who I am and that's what I needed. And um, so I'd been going to this Wednesday night meeting and there was this little badass um, Colleen. And when I say little, she was very short. Um, <laughs> she was like, no nonsense. She was a go-getter and she talked about God and she talked about the steps and she talked about her recovery. And you know who she didn't talk about? She didn't talk about her husband. Hmm. And she had what I wanted. She had something that was beyond the level of desperation that I was experiencing. And so I was like, Colleen, will you sponsor me? And ooh, I was terrified of her. Like I can remember standing on her front porch with my first step in hand, literally shaking. This woman scared the bejesus out of me, but I knew that was what I needed. I'm not an easy case, right? Some are sicker than others. Guess what? I'm the sicker than others, right? That's me. <laughs> and I and I knew I needed it. And so Colleen, um, C- Colleen and her husband, Wayne, um, you took just every, everybody who had asked pretty much through the work, like they just, they were solid Al-Anon AA people and they didn't believe in half measures. Wayne would say half measures avail me nothing. The world of the spirit is different. He'd say, it's not like a bank account. You don't get some in to withdraw. You don't partially in and partially withdraw. You're all in and that's it. And um, I I loved him and Wayne saved my life, saved my life. When Colleen could not get through to my stubborn ass, it was Wayne that got me. And um, so I did everything Colleen told me to do. I went to meetings. I, I read everything I could get my hands on in the, about the 12 steps, which includes a big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Yeah, I so, my that, so real quick on that while you're yeah. there. <clears throat> and I think we've talked about this last time and uh, it, it's just been a while since we brought this up on the, on the podcast, but there are a lot of people who listen to this uh, podcast for the first time. They probably don't uh, understand that I, I guess there is a, uh, a two schools of thought, if you will, uh, within Al-Anon. Some believe that the big book is should be utilized as a uh, one of the main texts. Some believe it should not be used at all. And some are kind of in between, I guess. Can you walk us through that so uh, people on the outside looking in will have a better understanding of that? There are those that are afraid and take action anyway. And there are those that are afraid and cower. Right? Right. So what I hear when I go into a meeting and people say the big book is in conference or uh, approved literature, I hear fear. I hear you're scared. And I get and what do you think they're scared of? They're scared of the action that's in the big book? Look, For sure. This is hard work, right? You, yeah, this is hard is, work. Yeah. You've done it. I've done it lots of times. Mm-hmm. It's hard. This is mm-hmm. not easy. Self-evaluation is, is hard business. It's hard work. Um, you know, and if you're being really honest, you realize that you suck right? Like I've done some pretty crappy things in my life and that's hard to face. It's hard to own, especially if you're not working toward a solution where God loves you and God forgives you. Right. So, you know, the, the so, Alanons that, that don't want to use the big book have been told that it's not conference approved and they're rule followers or I daughters and T crossers. And they, you know, and so they don't want to do anything that might get them in trouble or whatever. But I honestly believe that's fear-based. I grew up with Colleen and her husband, Wayne, and her sponsor, Boots, and her sponsor, Ruth. And Ruth read the big book because that's all there was. So she taught Boots. Boots read the big book because that's all there was. So Boots taught Colleen. 
Now, Colleen had more options. We had the courage to change and we had how Al-Anon works and we had all these Al-Anon things, but they deviated. They deviated from the fundamental first step, which is right. Three parts of the first step, which is I have a mental obsession. I have a physical allergy and I have a spiritual malady. What Al-Anon has become is I have a mental obsession and a spiritual malady, and they are skipping that middle piece of the physical allergy. And that fundamental part is, is making it harder and harder for them to recover, right? And so where the real split happens is this, what are they addicted to? In my opinion, I believe they're addicted to adrenaline. They're addicted to stress. Some people call it the Al-Anon stress. I call it adrenaline because it's the hormone, right? And it's in my body, closely related to cortisol. And that is my genuine addiction. And so when people ask me, like, what are you? I say, I'm an adrenaline addict. Yes, I'm a member of Al-Anon. But the, the nature of my disease is that I am so addicted to adrenaline that I will use any behavior to get it. Like an alcoholic will use tequila or whiskey or whatever to get the feeling. I will use adrenaline to get the feeling. And so my feelings growing up were fear. My feelings growing up were anger. My feelings growing up were frustration. My feelings growing up were abandonment. So guess what I recreate in my life? Fear, frustration, anger, abandonment, right? Because not because I want those things, but because I'm so familiar with them that they bring me comfort. Mm -hmm. And I use adrenaline and all sorts of behaviors to get back to that place. Maybe it's fighting with my spouse. Maybe it's picking a fight with my boss. Maybe it's overspending and creating financial insecurity. Maybe it's driving recklessly on the freeway. Um, any of those things that gets that adrenaline going. And then once the adrenaline is going, I cannot stop of my own will. That's the physical allergy from an Al-Anon perspective, right? Yes. Uh, I get it. Yeah, that completely makes sense to me. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Wow. And, and that's why they're doing things like sticking their face against the window, waiting for the alcoholic to come home. They're not addicted to the alcoholic. They are addicted to feeling hopeless, right? Mm. Using that adrenaline to recreate the feeling of hopelessness, using that adrenaline to feel worthless, using that adrenaline to crush self-esteem, using that adrenaline to have a pity party, using that adrenaline to experience those negative feelings that they grew up with, right? That I grew up with, speaking for myself. You know, and um, the thing that I use most often is anger. It's super easy to tap into. It's often justifiable publicly, like socially acceptable. Um, and it makes me feel powerful. It's a false, it's a false God. I use, right? My ego yeah. tells me that I'm powerful when I'm angry, which is bullshit. That's me playing God. And my ego tells me that I can control people, places, and things. And that's also me playing God. Right. Okay. Yeah. It, yeah. You know, and I'm sitting here listening to you thinking about really what you said at the beginning of this podcast or beginning of this episode, excuse me. And that is, I, I mean, these are lessons that everyone can use, not just people in Al-Anon, you know, I mean, you know, people say there are normal people out there, uh, you know, all you got to do is turn on. CNN or Fox News or something like that for a few minutes to see what the normal people are doing out there in the world. <laughs> uh, there are not normal uh, people. There are recovered people, right? Mm -hmm. Having recovered from a seeming, seeming, seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, there are recovered people. But okay, so what does that look like? 
what does that look like for you in your life when you say recovered? Because that's really what we're getting to, right? Is the solution because there's going to be a lot of people who are tapping into what you're saying right now. They're saying, yeah, that's me. How do I get out of that? So what does emotional sobriety look like for me? Right? So I have a daily reprieve. I have to pray and meditate. I need to be prayed and meditated up to have anything between me and my next use, just like an alcoholic drug addict. Um, And because the adrenaline is sourced from within me, I cannot like perch, right? So I have to be able to live with and, and manage my responses, which is tough. I can't, I don't have the power to do that without God. So I have to pray. I have to meditate. I have to strengthen my faith. I have to be present in steps and do, do 12 step work with other people. So what does emotional sobriety look like for me? It looks like when someone cuts me off on the freeway, I don't scream and yell and flip them off. Because screaming and yelling and flipping them off leads me to the next, the next, the next, the next, right? And then I break out in craving for more. So what I do in there is I take a deep breath. I say a prayer. Maybe I count. I turn on music. I change the subject. But mostly what I do is I pause and I pray. And the 10th step is pause, pray, turn right? And then also make immediate amends. So the 10 step is the most powerful tool that I have in my tool belt every day when I leave my house, right? It's not the most powerful tool. It's the most powerful tool I have every day when I leave my house. So this is the thing that when I go out into the world that I'm being held responsible to, love and tolerance toward others is my code, right? And the idea that it's my job to sit with God and plan my day. Well, that means I get to be a co-pilot, right? My instructions are, here, I I have it open. It's on page 86. Um, We consider our plans for the day. On awakening, let us think about the 24 hours ahead. So I'm sitting down with God. God and I are thinking about our plans for the day. That means I get to be a co-creator in my life. That also means I get to plan my thinking for the day. I don't just plan my prayer, plan my meditation, or plan my exercise, or plan my meals, or, or plan my work. I also plan to be optimistic. I also plan to be faithful. I also plan to be positive. I also plan to push away the pity party, the self-judgment, the judgment of others. I also plan to be okay. It's a big part of why I can be functional. You know, and the other part of this 10 step is we ask God to direct our thinking, right? Especially asking that it be divorced, separated from self-pity, dishonest, or self-seeking motives. I would also add fear, right? Because fear <laughs> ought to be classed with stealing, right? Because <laughs> it's sneaky and it's pervasive. And I will be in fear before I even know what happened to me. And what I know about myself, my psychology is what I believe creates what I think. And what I think creates what I feel. And what I feel creates what I do. If I am afraid, something I believe is being challenged. And that jacks my thinking. Which is why it's important for me to plan what I think that day. So that I can go, whoa. When any sentence in my brain starts with, I hate. I, whoa, right? Like, I hate this. I hate the DMV. I hate this. Anything like that, danger, (laughs) red lights flashing, right? Whoa. So, my plan is to go when I hear these things in my head, I'm in fear. 
pause and pray. Turn my thoughts. I'm okay. Everything is okay. What's going on around me? Where am I right now? Are my head and feet in the same place? I have tools for that. And so my emotional sobriety is dependent on this, planning my day. You know, and it's also dependent on this idea that I have to be divorced from self-pity, dishonest, and self-seeking motives and fear. And under those conditions, I can employ my mental faculties. So once I've done my amends, my mental faculties can now be trusted. This is a really important turn in the way the big books talks about our thinking. Up until this point, our thinking was not to be trusted. Up until this point, my thinking was selfish, self-centered, and self-seeking, and I was a crazy asshole right? Like if I've done my amends right, it's pretty clear that I was not a nice person. And so this is the first time the book's really telling me, hey, you're okay. You have God. When you align yourself to God's will, you're going to be all right. And so while I've been told several times that all my solutions can be managed by God, this is the first time I'm really getting a glimpse into I get to be with God in this journey. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And um, or after all, God gave us brains to use. My thought life. So this is this is the moment, man. Whew, this is the moment that gets me. My thought life. My thoughts have a life. They have a life, and I'm like, whoa. So, like, is it independent of me, or is it not independent of me? Is it a life that I can influence? But like, what is life? Life is a thing that grows. Life is a thing that replicates itself. So when I think about my plants, they have life. What do they do? They grow grow more of themselves, right? So my thoughts having life means they grow more of themselves. So if my thought life is self-pity, I'm creating more self-pity. If my thought life is faith, I'm creating more faith. If my thought life is how can I be of service to other people? How can I love you and tolerate you in a loving, kind way? How can I be more kind to you? Then guess what happens in my brains? My thoughts have a life that are wondering, how can I be more loving and kind and tolerant to you? This 10 step is my daily act of living. This is the tool in my tool belt. When construction workers go out with their hammer, Billy Kay goes out with my thought life. This is, this is the thing for me, right? And then it will, I will be placed on a much higher plane of think when my thinking is cleared of wrong motives. A higher plane. So my lower plane is fear, anger, resentment, um, y- y- you know, guilt, shame, um, envy, jealousy, right? That's the lower crap that happens, you know, in the garbage, the garbage bin, but my thought life can be raised to a higher plane. And what's the higher plane? Love, tolerance, kind, quality, um, peacefulness, gentility, um, right? Acceptance, accepting people for who they are, where they are, being present, doing the things that Colleen and Wayne taught me, which was like, what do you do when somebody dies? Well, you show up, you bring food, you help clean the house. Colin, we, Colin, Colleen and Wayne taught me what do you do when some when there's a celebration? You applaud. You show up and you celebrate people's life. Whether you think, no matter what you think of yourself, you think of them and you celebrate them. And you help them. You be of service to them. Colleen and Wayne taught me what love and tolerance of others looked like. 
because I was in my own fucking head. I was so in my own head. I didn't know I was in a woman's meeting, <laughs> right? They taught me how to think about other people. And then this big book shows me, it not only tells me to think about other people, it shows me how to think about other people. Remembering that they're as sick as me. We're right. Other people are sick like me. And what does that bring out? Compassion. It, this book tells me to be compassionate. It tells me that I need to be consistent in my compassion. And while I'm never going to be perfect, my goal is to continue to try every day. And how can I possibly try every day without God? Because I am, as, as Bill and Ebby's conversation constantly reminds me, there's no power in me in that moment at all. Right. And it's in me, meaning myself on my own will has no power. Like I can, I can self riot myself through the day, but then I am exhausted and depleted right. when I'm inspired. When the breath of the of the higher power and the God is in me, my energy is endless, right? When source is flowing through me and I am tapped into that creative energy in God, there's no limit to what service I can be to other people. So it's a big lesson, right? And And like all the power comes from my source and I connect to that source and then it flows through me. And is it, which is why I truly believe like this paragraph this paragraph is life-changing chock full of nuts isn't it yeah because my thoughts have a life what (laughs) (laughs) yeah and and when you really start thinking about your thought life and then you go back through the steps it changes the way you see these things. It changes the way you think about God. It changes the way you think about program, changes the way you think about yourself and the way you feel about all of those things. And when your beliefs change, your thoughts change, your feelings change, your actions change. So I'm no longer playing whack-a-mole trying to work on things in my life. What I do is I change my belief and that means relying on God. And when I rely on God, the thoughts, the feelings, and the actions all cascade change. Ah, uh, Billy Jean. I just called you Billy Jean. I'm so sorry, Billy K, because because of the reference at the uh, beginning of the episode. I really enjoyed this. You were up. You have a better grasp of the big book than uh, the majority of people in AA do. I'm sure you've been told that before, and that's uh, I think that's been I think it's absolutely fantastic. I really appreciate the your time and your passion and your effort and your uh, ability to carry the message, uh, not only within the walls of Al-Anon, but also outside of Al-Anon. Uh, uh, to, because I know there's going to be Al-Anon, or excuse me, alcoholics listen to this go, that's right. Yeah, she's on the money. I really <laughs> Well, I hope so. I mean, the goal is to be of service of others. So, you know, I'm not everybody's minister. You know what I'm saying? Not everybody's, uh, but that's right. somebody's just like you yep. are somebody's and just like yeah. people listening are somebody's yeah and and, and that's the heart of it okay yeah i'm not everyone's cup of tea myself you right. know but uh but that's why there's a lot of voices out there and that's okay <laughs> yes <laughs> all right i'm gonna read from uh the big book page 164 of alcoholics anonymous it closes out here it says abandon yourself to god as you understand god Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past 
Give freely of what you find to join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit. And you will surely meet some of us, like me and Billy Kay, as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Thank you so much, Billy Kay. I really appreciate it. It's always my pleasure, John. Bye, everybody. What an episode. Oh, Billy Kay. She brought it. Uh, she brung down the house. Uh, she raised the roof. I don't know. I'm just trying to think of something that may make sense there, but, uh, um, I'm sure you will agree with me. Uh, that was an absolutely fantastic episode. We do not want you. Yeah. I'm talking to you sharing your, um, what don't we want you to share? We do not want you sharing your gossip, but I would love for you to share this episode with a friend or family member. It may be just what they need today. So pause your little device and hit that share button and uh, send it on over. Now on to a little bit of a listener feedback. Adrian writes in and Adrian, Adrian, I don't know. Uh, so Adrian, I don't know if you're aware of this, but there is a, uh, a <laughs> there's a, uh, a, uh, a movie from, I, I, I think that was the early eighties, if I'm not mistaken, from Rocky, right? And, uh, Rocky, I don't know, his, his wife was named Adrian and he would get in the center of the ring and he would yell out her name and go, but nonetheless, uh, Adrian says, Hi, John. I hope you're fine and you're enjoying the vacation with your family. Yes, we are back and we so much enjoyed that, except for the roaches that were in the, uh, the, uh, uh, the, the condo that we had down there in uh, Florida. But anyway, that, that's another story. Anyway, he says, uh, Still listening to the podcast. It helps me a lot, my friend, and thank you for your service. Well, thank you, Adrian. He said, I wanted to ask you for a long time something. How did you get the idea to start the podcast? And I am sure that you have a podcast with your story, but I can't find it. Maybe you can tell me your podcast number. About me, my friends, so far, all is good. You may remember that I had some issues with my wife, but as soon as as I didn't struggle and I let God take it over, we are okay. God bless you, my friend, Adrian. I do remember that, Adrian, and I'm glad things have straightened up with you. Okay, a couple things here. You said, okay, the podcast number for me. Yes, I, I get this. Okay, I'll tell you the truth. I, I've got something on my, uh, I, I, and I've talked about this over the past month or two. I, I actually have an episode of me recorded. It was just a live talk, and uh, it's on my desktop, but I go and I edit everybody else first and release them, so I, I've not done this. Um, I have been on other podcasts, but I have not, I have not featured myself on my podcast, and Ah, yeah, maybe someday I will here. I, I just, I, I got to get to it. I don't know why I just do not prioritize it. And I, I don't know. It's, it's just, I just feel funny about featuring me on my pod, but you know, who knows, maybe someday I'll do it soon. Uh, but nonetheless, and then the other question is how, uh, uh, how did you get the idea to start the podcast? Well, 
This is exactly what happened. Um, we, uh, when I say we, me and the lovely Mrs. M were at a holiday party, Christmas party, whatever it called, uh, for uh, the Frisco group of Alcoholics Anonymous. And while I was there, uh, there was this gentleman that, who went to our group. Um, he, he lives in Colorado now. His name is Alex Z. And Alex was there, and he's and uh, Alex is just one of these guys. He was very, always very quiet in the room. Uh, he, when he was called on, he would say very few words, or he wouldn't share at all. It would, it would just pass. Uh, and it, he was a great guy; everybody loved him. But you know, he would just he wouldn't share. So anyway, um, we kind of cornered Alex at the party, and I just kind of asked him, you know, where are you from? It turns out, you know, he is from Iran, and uh, in Iran, they didn't really have uh, Alcoholics Anonymous meetings. They only had NA meetings because alcohol is illegal, but they deal with the NA because of the poppy, uh, you know, because of all the opium and all that sort of stuff. It's just weird, you know? But anyway, so we started talking to him about all that, and he started telling me about how he was in Iran uh, during the hostage crisis, if you remember that, with Jimmy Carter and Ronald Reagan and all that sort of stuff. And when he was over there, uh, his dad uh, kind of, he wanted to get them out of the country, and he made up this big ruse to get them out of the country, and it was very dangerous. And they had to get him out of, they had to get uh, his mom and his brother, I believe, and and uh, and his dad, uh, had to get all of them out of the country. They got to Germany. When they got to Germany, they're like, okay, what do we do now, right? And then they went, they went from Germany over to Los Angeles, and they got to Los Angeles, and thought, well, what do we do now? And anyway, and, and he read through through what what you call is the the Persian version of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And we had this 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 long conversation about it. And so anyway, I got home that night and actually on the way back home, uh, I think it was my wife uh, uh, who said, you know, that could be a movie. I mean, that was an incredible story. And I thought so too. And I thought, how could I get this guy? How do we get his story out and about? And I thought to myself, well, what if we had a podcast? And then I go, podcast? I know nothing about podcasts. I had listened to some podcasts, but I really had no idea how to start one. And so I so I asked the lovely Mrs. And I just couldn't let it go. And it kept going through my head that night. I asked the lovely Mrs. M that the next morning, I said, listen, if I started down this road, would you be able to create a, a website? And she does, she does website work. She creates them and all this kind of stuff. And she was like, sure, I'd be able to do that. And so anyway, I took off from there. And Alex is actually episode number two, not one. I, I had another guy. I won't go into that story right now, but, but, uh, Alex is Alex Z on episode number two. And that is who, um, who basically motivated me, uh, to start that. And I wanted to be able to get Alex's story out there. And now we're 250 episodes into or 249, excuse me. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but so Adrian, I hope that Adrian, I hope that answers your question. Appreciate you writing in. Holly writes in. 
and the subject line is Amy and Rachel. She says, hi, John. I recently found your podcast while I was in the Dallas County Jail. It was, it was a very sobering moment for me. You may remember that I had my boyfriend reach out to you and contact Jenny L. I do remember that gentleman. I didn't know that was your boyfriend at the time until you wrote in, but yes. Anyway, Jenny L. And she says, uh, Jenny L is now my new sponsor. I am out of jail a long 41 days, exclamation point, she says, and living in sober living and working a solid program. I also listened to Amy and Rachel and found their stories so inspirational. I noticed that Amy is speaking at the North Texas Roundup in August. That's correct. I look forward to hearing her. If you would be so kind, John, to reach out to she and Rachel, I would very much appreciate it. Their stories resonate deeply with me. God, surely, John is working through you someday. I hope we can meet in person with respect and gratitude. Holly K. Holly. I got this message and it just, it sent shivers down my spine. Absolutely love it. God bless you. And, uh, congratulations on, well, by the time you hear this, I'm sure it's going to be more than 41 days, but, that is fantastic. And I'm so glad to hear this is getting heard in uh, uh, various uh, uh, prisons. And uh, I'm and anyway, I'm, I'm so glad to hear that prisons and jails and God bless you. That is so cool. Janine H writes in, oh, by the way, Holly, as you know, I got you in touch with uh, uh, Amy and Rachel, and I I hope you have a a long relationship with them. Janine H writes in and she says, happy Thursday. I think she wrote this on a Thursday, but I'm not sure. She says, good morning, John. My name is Janine H and I am from Calgary, Alberta. Thank you for your podcast and all you do to help others recover. You have become one of my favorite people to turn on and commute with. Anyway, I started to say something. Anyway, you have become one of my favorite people to turn on and commute with. I get it. And by the way, you can always tell something. You can always tell when I I get somebody from Canada or um, uh, uh, England because they spell favorite and words like that, with a O-U-R-I-T-E. But anyway, she says, I initially came into AA when I was 24, and I was in and out for four years, never hearing the solution. I was from a smaller community, and we didn't read the big book of meetings, and God seemed to be a controversial topic. God seemed to be a controversial topic. Oh, no. I'm sorry to hear that, Janine. Anyway, she says, I got sober again finally at the age of 38 in Calgary, and the recovery community here is quite strong and full of literature and people who talk freely and lovingly about God. I'm glad you found that. I work at the government level in the field of mental health and addiction uh, for over three years, and I have tried all the other mainstream, quote, solutions. I found temporary fleeting relief at best. I could go on and on about what my education and career offered me as solutions. And although many techniques and modalities of therapy are beneficial in other areas, they are slow 
and they are a slow and confusing death trap for the real alcoholic. Oh wow, that's okay. You 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 have you have a a great writing skills there, Janine. Uh, I love that. Anyway, she says so. I tried AA this time around out of the book, seeking out others who did the same. This time it worked and is working like it promises it will. <laughs> I hope your July is off to a great start. Bye for now, Janine H. That's cool, Janine. I'm glad you found your stride, as they would say, uh, in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I'm so glad that you're able to listen to our um, pod up there in Canada. Thanks a lot. Wes writes in, and Wes, Wes says, Hi, John. I was debating on joining your Facebook group, and I need a lot of help out there, but there are not a lot of re AA resources near me. I guess I'm on the fence about my alcoholism. I listen to your podcast every night and hope I can get better. I think, John, I'm reaching my bottom, dot, dot, dot. So I went ahead and reached back out to Wes and I asked him if he wanted me to get in touch with somebody. And um, um, he said yes. So I got him in touch with my friend Brad here in Frisco. By the way, Brad, if you're listening, thank you so much for this. And so Brad followed up with him. And after Brad followed up with him, he said, uh, Wes wrote back in again. He says, Hey, thank you, John. Keep up the good work. I listen to sober speak every night at work. I get great info from every episode. I'll update you on my progress. If that's okay. Maybe my E will, maybe my email will make it on the app. As you say, laugh out loud. Thank you again. Well, you just made it Wes. <laughs> <laughs> you have made it on sober speak. I, I think there's greater things to attain uh, that that you could uh, shoot for. However, uh, you are on uh, sober speak, and I hope uh, you and Brad are able to um, forge your way together and uh, um, get some success. Sarah writes in. Sarah says, "Hi, John. I love your podcast. I love your podcast. I am in Sydney, Australia. It's an Aussie. It's another Aussie. I love it, Sarah." She says, I found Sober Speak by looking through Sober Podcasts, and I found yours. And I haven't looked for an alternative. <laughs> I love how real you are and your speakers are. And I love hearing people's stories and I am always resonating with something. Thank you for all the work that you do. Kindest regards, Sarah. Well, Sarah in Australia, thank you so much for writing in. We appreciate you. All right, everybody. That is another ep in the books. Uh, Keep coming back. It works if you work it. May God bless you and keep you until then. I take this one week at a time. Hope to be back next week. Uh, until then, may God bless you and keep you until then. I should have saved that till the very end. I, I got that out of order, but you'll probably forgive me. Well, and if you don't forgive me, take it to your sponsor, right? It's uh, it's really not that big of a deal. <laughs> Bye-bye, everybody. I'm just going to quit rambling now. Love you guys. Bye.